We clearly love entertainment and movies. How many knew everything on that? Who knew all of those? My wife, uh, she didn't really grow up in American culture, so she was like, n knew none of those songs. She was like, I never heard of any of those kind of ones, but, but all the movie lines, she knew all those. So, Happy New Year. Uh, looking forward to this year, 2023. Look, I think it's going to be an amazing year for our church, and I think it's going to be an awesome year of growth for each one of us. And so, uh, I'm glad you're here this morning. Let's... Uh, Ring in the new year with a ringing shout, as we love to do, as uh, our church, church's declarations. Ready? What do we do? We love God and we love others. And what do we say? I love God and I love you. So we're kicking off this year uh, with a five-week series called One Hit Wonders. So in this series, we're going to look at things that were like super brief in the Bible, um, but they had a big impact. Something like uh, a person who would utter a famous phrase that's now uh, part of our culture, or folks who are, uh, just show up in one single verse and that's it. Or, or maybe they're, they're just seen in one event or one moment of the Bible. But those moments matter. And so that's what we're going to be looking at in this five-week series. People, they, they just got like a brief moment, and they're recorded in the Bible. And so I'm pretty excited about it. I think it's going to be a little bit of fun. We're going to look at several vignettes uh, as we go through this. And so today we're actually going to look at uh, several famous Bible one-liners. So what are some, you can't handle the truths of the Bible, okay? So we want to handle all the truth of the Bible. So here's our first one-liner for our new year. Meaningless, meaningless, everything is meaningless, okay? Bible trivia shout-out time. If you know the answer, go ahead and shout this out. Who said this one-liner? Anyone? Solomon. The youth group's they just uh, were talking about this at their uh, youth retreat. Uh, that had to have been a lot of fun, uh, right? Uh, this is from Ecclesiastes 1, 1 through 3. In the words of the teacher, son of David, king in Jerusalem, this is Solomon, meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher, utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. What do people gain from all their labor which they toil under the sun? How about that for a New Year's encouragement right off the bat, you know? I know how to do this right. <laughs> this is from King Solomon. Now, King Solomon at this time, he was one of the richest people on the planet. Think uh, Elon Musk, Jeff Bezos. So he absolutely had all the money that he wanted. King Solomon, he absolutely had all the women he wanted his recorded relationships only include 700 concubine and 300 wives. That's 1,000 women that he's officially committed to. He, uh, he was one of the most powerful persons on the planet as he was the monarch of, of uh, uh, he was the king in a monarchy. And so he was the supreme power in his country. His money, he has girls, he has power, and he has fame. He's so famous that, that people would come and travel for months and months because they couldn't go by plane. They had to go by boat or they had to walk. And they would, they would bring gifts to him and they would come just to meet him, travel months and months just to meet him. So he's, he's famous. So I think about the things of the world and they strive after money, power, fame, if you're man, women. So according to any worldly metric or measure, King Solomon had it all. Yet his conclusion to all of the things he said, had. His conclusion was, it's all meaningless. In the final verse of this book, he concludes that everything in life is meaningless apart from God. And he says, 
I've had the opportunity, I've had the means, I've had the resources to try everything. And I did. And I found that all of it was meaningless, except God. Only in God was there any meaning to life. And that was Solomon's conclusion. And so what an awesome one-liner to remind us to strive after God this year. Don't spend your year striving after things or status or, or worldly gain, but only those things which are of God. Don't strive after the things that are meaningless. Strive after the only thing that has meaning this year. So what a great reminder as we start 2023. Let's fix our eyes on the one with meaning rather than all of the things that try to grab our attention that are so meaningless. Our second one-liner. Am I my brother's keeper? Who said that one? Anyone? No? Don't know? You can read your Bible more. That's our new, new Year's resolution, right? Read your Bible. If you don't. Who said that one? Cain said that, right? Uh, then, the, and this is Genesis 4, um, he said this right after he killed his brother. <laughs> then the Lord said to Cain, hey, where's your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? This was Cain's response to God after killing his brother Abel. So God knows what he did. God isn't questioning because he, God had already seen the body. God knows everything. He, he knows what Cain had done, but he was giving Cain a chance to come clean. But instead, Cain offers this one-liner. Am I my brother's keeper? not wanting to take responsibility for his actions, trying to deflect and, and dodge what he knows was a sin and a tragedy that he himself had just done. Now, I'm not positive, but I don't think anyone in here has killed their brother. Don't raise your hand if you had, just keep that a secret. Well, you, you can come tell your pastor, it's okay. But I don't think anyone in our congregation killed their brother. But, but I know that there might be some things in your life which you haven't taken responsibility for. Maybe, maybe some habits or behaviors that, that aren't God-honoring. Maybe some mistakes or, or, or some misjudgments. What a great opportunity right now to not be like Cain. To not try to just dodge or hide or duck or, or displace the situation but rather to own up to your mistakes, to, to ask God forgiveness. And, and then after you do that, to go ask forgiveness if you've hurt a particular person. Perhaps you haven't been treating your spouse the way that God wants you to treat your spouse. I'm not saying I'm just one possible example. Maybe it's not time to not make excuses anymore, but time to just say, you know what, God, I want to make a change. Maybe... You're at school and you're one of those people who gossip because you're trying to, like, you know, just fit in. And high school's tough. Or junior high's tough and you're just trying to fit in. So you gossip or you cut someone down or you talk behind their back. Or Maybe it's time to make a change and, and not do that. So let's choose this year to take responsibility for our mistakes, to, to ask God's forgiveness and then to make some changes. How about this third one-liner? Get behind me, Satan. <laughs> Who said that one? Get behind me, Satan. That's a Jesus, right? Mark 8, 31. He, Jesus, then began to teach them 
that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed. And after three days, he's going to rise again. He spoke plainly about this. Well, then Peter, he took him aside and he began to rebuke him. But when Jesus turned and, and looked at the disciples, he rebuked Peter. And he said, get behind me, Satan. He said, you don't have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. See, Peter was concerned. Peter had good intentions. Peter thought he was speaking truth. Jesus said, oh, I'm going to die. And Peter was like, no, 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 you can't die. You're, you're the Messiah. You're going you're to reign forever. We believe in you. So he has good intentions. But Jesus is like, hey, you're not hearing my words. What you're doing is you're putting your ideas on my words. And so when you're doing that, he says, keep behind me, Satan. You're not trying to do God's things. You're trying to do your things. You're trying to do what makes sense in the world, not what makes sense in God's economy. We can easily do the exact same thing if we're not careful. To think of like our view of morality as the right one or, or our thoughts of the world and the happenings that are going on in this world, that they're correct, that our political stance is God's stance. We're believing if, if the culture deems something good, and that, that's, that's the right way to be, and we just go along, and so we think it's the right thing to do as well. But let's have a little bit of humility. And, and I say that it, it seems vague. Oh, which is he trying to get at? Is he trying to get at, like, be more accepting or, or be more at Stanford? In, in all areas, I think we have to have a bit of humility and do our best to believe Jesus and his words, to believe God's word, even when it conflicts with, like, how we think things should be. Or, or even, if, even if it goes against the culture. And as Christians, we have, we have this pull a couple of different ways all during our day and all in our lives. So, so maybe God says to love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you. Mm, I don't like that one. He says, well, if someone slaps you and disrespects you, turn the other side and let them disrespect your other side. Let them slap your face. If they, they force you to do something, don't do it begrudgingly, but do an extra mile with them. Mm, I don't like that. Even as Christians, we're like, nah, we're not going to let people disrespect us like that. No, nah, we're not going to take that. We're going to fight back. We're going to stand for our rights. Go, Maybe. Maybe Jesus has a different way. Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Be absolutely different and mind-boggling to the culture, so much so they can't understand it. He says to, to love adulterers and traitors and sinners, and don't avoid them, but go to dinner with them and then invite them to your home, and then invite them to your church. I'm going to do it. If Jesus says it, I'm going to do it. He says, leave everything behind and follow him. Oh man, that doesn't make any sense. But okay. I know some stuff doesn't make sense. I know it, like in the worldly way of looking at, at life, and, and in the practical, and, and in, in, in what's the, the wise thing to do according to the world, some of the stuff that Jesus says doesn't make sense. Abandon your riches and follow after me. Give everything you have to the poor. <laughs> kind of everything, God. It doesn't make sense all the time. But I'm going to go with what Jesus says because I don't know about you, but I do not want to have Jesus tell me, get behind me, Satan. And so this year, I'm going to dive back into Jesus. 
I love that song we're singing, coming back to him, coming back to him. I'm going to dive back into Jesus and his words, and I'm going to double down on him. And say, Jesus, it doesn't matter what people around me want. It doesn't matter what my culture says. It doesn't matter. What matters is you and your words, and I want to get it right. And I don't want to be so arrogant that I think I'm the only one and to only listen to my own voice, but I want to listen to your voice and try to get what you're saying, Jesus. Because I don't want to hear him say, get behind me, Satan, to say I'm talking <laughs> about you. Our next Bible one-liner. Today this scripture is fulfilled. Who said that one? Anyone know that one? That's Jesus also. Jesus returned to Galilee. This is recorded in Luke chapter 4. He re- Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and the news about him spread through the whole countryside. So he's teaching in their synagogues, and, and everyone's praising him. And he goes to Nazareth, where he had uh, where he'd been brought up. And, and on the Sabbath, he went to the synagogue, as was his like, custom to do so. And he stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him, and he unrolled it, and he found the place where it's written this. In Isaiah, this is actually Isaiah 61. The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for prisoners and recovery of the sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, and he gave it back to the attendant, and he sat down, and the eyes of everyone in the synagogue, they were fastened on him. And he began by saying to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Now this is like an, oh man, this is like a one, this one liner, my, my son's been using this word, my, this is like, this one liner slaps. Uh, that's a cool way to say it, I guess. Maybe, uh, maybe I think when we read it, we don't get any of that, right? There's no, oh dang, I can't believe he just said that. We're like, oh, that's maybe one of the boringest one liners I've ever heard. But it wouldn't have been at that time. The text that Isaiah, that he's reading in Isaiah was known by every Jewish person that was in the room. He's in a Jewish synagogue reading to Jewish people. Every listener of that text would know that that text was used by the rabbis and the teachers of the law to refer to God's eternal king, the future and forever savior or Messiah of Israel. So everyone knew that that was was what that scripture was about. And then Jesus says, that scripture is me. And then that would have been like, holy crap, you can't say crap in church. But if you could, that's what it would say. He's claiming to be the one that will restore people to God, claiming to be the one to make new hearts possible, to usher in uh, a new rule of God's kingdom, to save all of God's people. This one one liner is, is historically nutty. And the craziest part that it's actually true of Jesus. That would have been like this. Maybe we don't get the effect because we weren't Jewish in that time and we got the juice, but that would have been like this banger of a mic drop. He would have been like, boom, and everyone would be like, oh, did he just say that? What? They would have been dumbfounded. And so we get to pretend to be like that too. Like, what? I can't believe he, he did that. Amazing one. How about this one? As for me and my household, we, will, we shall serve the Lord. Who said that? As for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Anyone? Spartacus or Joshua or, yeah, one of the gladiator guys. Someone said that, right? That was Joshua. In Joshua 24, uh, here's what he says. Now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. He had a cool voice. Throw away the gods of your ancestors, worship beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt, and serve the Lord. 
But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourself this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you're living. But as for me and my household, we'll serve the Lord. Then all the people around him said, Oh, far be it from us to forsake the Lord and serve other gods. It was the Lord, our God himself, who brought us up and our parents out of Egypt from the land of slavery and performed those great signs before our eyes. He protected us on the entire journey and among all the nations through which we traveled. And the Lord drove out before us all the nations, including the Amorites who, who lived in the land. We too will serve the Lord because he's our God. Now this was difficult times. Moses had just died. Moses had been leading the people for like 40, 50 years. Joshua, he's just been like second-hand man. And, and, and Moses, the leader, the, the God, like, that's the Moses, right? It was the Moses back then, too. He's like, that's the guy. He parts rivers and water comes out of rocks and magic bread comes out of heaven and they get to eat it and, and like meat shows up when they want to eat meat. And then God, God says, Joshua, you've got to lead now. But you don't just get to lead in the wilderness. I want you to go into the promised land. Promise means you don't have it yet, right? That's what a promise is, like. It's not the land that you got. You aren't going home. You're going into a land what, that you don't got yet. And there's folks there that hate you, and they're going to try to kill you. He says, Joshua, you have got to go to war. You are going to put your family and everyone else's families at risk as you go fight a war to enter that promised but not yet obtained land. And so Joshua has to make a personal decision. I mean, God's asking him to do this thing. Like, this, he's not the great Moses. You know, if, if ever you've been around great leaders, like, I'm not that guy. And he just got to wander around the desert. Now I got to conquer. God's telling me to go in and, and fight war and, and put all of our lives at risk and my own kids and my family and my wife and all we've been building. He had to make a personal decision. He had to make a family decision. And he also had to make a, a people's decision as the leader. But really, at the end of the day, each person has to make their choice. No matter the risk, the, the danger, or the unknowns, Joshua chose to serve the Lord and then proclaim his stance to everybody. He says, look, I've made my choice, and then I'm going to make it public. As for me and, and my folks, we're going we're gonna to serve the Lord. And every one of us, though we face different challenges, we face our own challenges, we too have to decide who we will serve, whom we shall trust. When those challenges come this year, and maybe it's, maybe it's going to be some health challenges, maybe it's going to be some financial challenges, maybe, maybe it's going to be some relationship challenges, maybe your kid is 12 and they're about to be 13, and that's teenage, so there's going to be some challenges. And maybe you're a teenager now and you've got parents and you're like, oh, talk about challenges. You should meet my parents. <laughs> right? It works both ways. I understand there's angst on both sides. When we face challenges this year, just life challenges, things that are going to show up, no matter the challenge, let us together proclaim, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. What a great one-liner for this year. And here's our last Bible one-liner for today. Let my people go. Who's that last one? Let my people go. That's the great Moses that Joshua had to follow, right? This is from Exodus 5. Uh, here's the 
one of the first times he says it. Afterward, Moses and Aaron, they go to Pharaoh and they say to him, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, let my people go so that they may hold a festival to me in the wilderness. Then he says it again in Exodus 7.16, and again in 8.1, and 8.8, and 8.20, and 9.1, and 9.13, and in Exodus 10.3. So Moses and Aaron go to Pharaoh, this is like the, you know, tenth time. And they said to him, this is what the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, says. How long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? Let my people go, so that they may go worship me. You see, this was Moses' faith moment. God had asked Moses when he was in a different land to go to the most powerful country on the planet and to go up to the Pharaoh, the leader of that country, and tell him to free all these particular ethnic slaves. God asked him to do something that's impossible. How are you going to... How are you nobody, shepherd nobody from no country, don't even have a land, don't even have a a people you were abandoned as a baby, you're brought up in in the Pharaoh's house and out of the kindness, then you're going to go show up to him and demand that, that he possibly cripple his economy? What a faith moment. See, we know it worked out. Moses didn't know it was going to work out. He was in that moment, and he's like, God says, go tell the Pharaoh, let my people go. Who am I? What do I have? I can't talk. I don't have that status. But I'm going to do it. God is asking for full and complete faith. God is asking him to step beyond his own ability, beyond his own limits, and to trust the God of miracles. To demonstrate faith, not just claim to have faith. Hmm. to speak those words to the most powerful nation on the planet. This was his faith moment. And he did it. So I can't help but to wonder, what will your faith moment be this year? God, I don't don't know. What's God going to ask you to do that seems impossible? It seems like, no way, God, I can't handle that. Or, or That would be way too much. God, that's not my personality. Or, oh, what is God going to ask you to do? I don't know. But I know if God asks you to do something and you step out in faith and not only have faith, but then demonstrate that faith, then you're going to step into the miracles of God. Or you can say, I have faith and I'm not going to demonstrate it. And then you will never experience the miracles of God. Because you won't step out in faith and say whatever God says to do, or do whatever God tells you to do, to let my people go. Will we respond with yes, like Moses? Will you go against the impossible this year, like Moses? Will you trust God completely, even if it doesn't make any sense? Moses' life was great before this. He had a couple of kids. He had a new wife. He is doing great, living among people that was that he liked. He had a calm life. He was just shepherding. It's pretty chill. I just sit here all day, play my phone, you know. And God asked him to do something crazy, upend his life, do the impossible. And what does he say? He says, yes, God, not only do I believe in you, but I'm going to act on that belief. Will we as a church, as the people of God, go where he wants us to go and, and say what he wants us to say, no matter the possible consequences? And will we do it as persons of God? So let's decide to step out in faith this year when our Moses moment comes. Amen?
Amen. Okay, that's a lot to take in on our first Sunday of 2023, but uh, look, I, I'm confident that God brought you here on purpose this morning. Uh, I, I think God wanted you to experience Him this morning. I, I think God wants you to realign to Him this very first day of 2023. To say yes to Him in our hearts this morning. And so I'm going to invite you to, to stand up with me and, and we're going to just take a pause in our, in our Sunday and we're going to say, God, realign my heart. Focus me again on you. I want to say yes to you. I'm going to look for my Moses moment. I'm going to look for the, the, the impossible. And as for me and my household, I'm going to make a choice. I'm going to follow you. I'm going to give us an opportunity to do that right now in prayer. And then we're going to sing a worship song. God, right now, we want to say to you what's in our heart. We've heard your word, these some cool statements that challenge us. This is our moment. Will we choose you? Will we dedicate this year to say, God, we'll follow you. We'll follow you to the into the impossible. We'll follow you in the fire. We'll follow, follow you when things are collapsing. We'll follow you when, when things aren't going well. And we'll follow you when they're amazing. This is the beginning of our yes moment right now. Would you tell that to God in your own words?